Welcome everyone to A Seat at the Table. It is the same-ish podcast you've come to know and love with a new focus. And to help me launch this inaugural episode of A Seat at the Table is my friend Jen. Hey, Jen. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yes, you were here for the first ever episode of Raised Evangelical, and I thought it would be so much fun to have you back as I shift focus on the podcast and give it a new name and a new direction, and I thought there would be no better person to do this with me than you, so thanks for coming. (laughs) I am truly honored. Um, Yeah. <laughs> so the this way is, we'll do it, this is where like a Zoom thing is easier because you can watch I know. the other person anyhow. I know, and I I tried. <laughs> oh no, I know, I know. I was, it was more of a me explaining why I'm gonna have weird silences and random. <laughs> I know it's weird, but um. So what we'll do? We did this before with the first episode of Raised Evangelical, where. In, it would be so much more fun to be asked questions and be able to answer them for me to just drone on and on about why I'm doing what I'm doing. So for the first part of the show, for the listeners, I'm going to turn it over to Jen and she's going to ask me some questions. And then for the second part of the show, I've got some questions for her. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so welcome to A Seat at the Table, Stephanie. I'm glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's a big name change. It went from raised evangelical um, Mm -hmm. with obvious religious undertones to a seat at the table. Um, Why did you change the name? What brought this about? Well, when I first started the podcast, it was obviously an offshoot of my book, Raised Evangelical, which I published last December, or maybe it was November. Uh, Anyway, so and the, the response I got from the book was really strong, and it, it became clear to me at the time that there were people who wanted to hear more about what, you know, about my story, and they wanted a place to tell theirs, and I felt that it was important to offer that opportunity to people, and to also discuss some of the um, trauma that comes with having been raised that way. And Because I, I, I still think there is a lot of misunderstanding about that, but as time went on and so many of the episodes of raised evangelical were the same, but different, Uh you know, because every person's experience is unique, but there are so many similar points to all of our experiences in being raised in the white evangelical church. I really felt like it was very getting to the point of just being bogged down and constantly rehashing trauma. And Uh I think that's easy to do in whatever you have a group of survivors. I think that can and does happen frequently. Um, I'm at a point in my own deconstruction where I'm ready to move beyond simply being known as somebody who is a former evangelical. Um, that part that's, you know, part of my past, it still influences who I am today and the choices I make and the things that I comment on and so forth. But, it's it's not something I want to continue revisiting over and over again. I don't want my entire identity to be what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage others to do the same because something that I have noticed in the community comprised of former evangelicals is uh, 
And I'm going to say this as nicely as I know how to, but there are people who count on people staying in that trauma because that's their bread and butter. Yes. If people heal and move forward, suddenly they don't have an audience anymore. They don't have a platform anymore and they have to find something else to do with the talents. Um, I'm not going to do that here. You know, I really believe that a lot of people who have come out of that trauma are a lot stronger than they realize. They are more capable than they realize. They know more than they think they do. And I want to help people move forward in that. And the way we're going to do that is by talking about something other than or in addition to simply being traumatized former evangelicals. That's why the name change. (laughs) I love that. And I remember talking to you on your very first episode and you mentioned that this Mm -hmm. was somewhat of a fear and you were hoping to make a space that was different from other evangelical groups, which I think you did, but I think you're Mm -hmm. realizing that it's time to grow along with your listeners and along with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm also hearing some uh, RHE undertones here. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. That is high yeah. praise. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and just a seat at the table. Like, I feel like that's what she was about. Um, yeah. This is not what, um, this is not one of the questions that you gave me, but how, what, what did she influence this decision for you to kind of switch gears a little bit? Um, and if so, how? Well, I I don't know that I had Rachel in mind specifically, but I do remember her often talking about, um, you know, building a longer table. Uh When you have more than what you need, you don't build a taller fence, you build a longer table. And I want people to feel, you know, even people who think differently than me and maybe have opinions that are completely different from mine to still feel free to come to the table and have a seat and let's talk. Um, so yes, I would say in that way, she definitely did influence me. And I also remember reading um, something she said. It was shortly before she passed and it must, it was probably a tweet because we know that RHE loved to tweet yes, wisdom did. on the daily. <laughs> so. <laughs> It it said it was, and I'm guilty of this, I will freely admit it, but someone had called another person online trash. Mm -hmm. And I admit, I do that. I I mean, if I think your opinion is not worthy of anyone's consideration, I'll say it's trash. And, you know, if you're going to double down when you're challenged on it, I might say you are too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... I remember reading her saying, nobody is trash, you know, and I, and that really, it challenges me in a way that I don't necessarily like, but it's a way that I need to be challenged because we're living in a culture where it is so easy to dismiss people that we don't like as trash. Mm -hmm. Like their opinion might be trash. Their political perspectives might be trash. You know, everything they stand for might be trash, but that's quite different from declaring that the person themselves is trash. And so, you know, this is as much about challenging myself as it is about anybody else, but challenging myself to grow and to see people as 
human beings, Mm -hmm. you know, not simply an opinion that's different from mine or a political belief that's different from mine. It doesn't mean that we need to be friends with everybody. It doesn't even mean we need to like everybody. But, you know, being challenged to stop dismissing people as, quote, trash or whatever term you might like like to use at the moment. Um, You know, that I will freely admit, I sling those terms around and think nothing of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and there's part of me that thinks sometimes that's warranted. Because there are people who ha- hold opinions that truly do harm other people. And I don't feel sometimes like I need to make space, you know, for their, quote, humanity because they're doing inhuman things. Yes. Um, so for me, it's more about finding a balance. You know, I don't think I'll ever have the amount of grace and, and so forth that R.H.E. did for her detractors. I don't think I will ever be that generous. <laughs> yeah. But... It is still a challenge for me to remember the humanity of other people. And that's, you know, that's something I want this podcast to embrace as well, because I've spent the last almost year now talking about what it was like to be raised in the white evangelical church. And it has been very easy for me to to create a caricature of the white evangelical. And I, I think that's something that we we do. You know, we we ha- we create general assumptions about people and groups of people based on what we've experienced and what others have experienced. Sure. Um, but I've also found I am so tired of being angry all the time, and I'm tired of only seeing people in caricatures. Mm-hmm. You know, the the typical Trump supporter, the typical white evangelical, the typical, um, you know, homophobe, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder you know, where do we draw the line between understanding that there are certain traits that are typical of certain groups, but also understanding that, you know, it's never really that black and white. It's never really that set in stone. Um, Again, coming back to that humanizing of people, which, you know, again, is really, it's hard for me. Uh, but I think that's also part of the growth when when you move beyond being traumatized or just being being identified by your trauma. You can never undo the fact that you were traumatized. You never, you know, and that wasn't something anyone chose. That is something that happened to you. Right. But when you're healed, when you're healed to the point where you can move beyond being solely identified by the by what happened to you, being identified by your wounds, I think it becomes possible to humanize people at least to the extent of saying, you know what, they might hold some really shitty perspectives and I will never agree with them on this, but they got, they didn't just wake up that way one day. Mm -hmm. There were things that happened that led them to that place. And even if I can never agree with them and I can never support anything that they do or say or be, (laughs) I can still hold some empathy for the human experience. Which yeah, is- I think that's a great summary. Holding empathy for the human experience. Um, definitely something um, I could use some practice with as well. Yeah. Um, man, you, you've really, I feel like, done a good job of uh, covering a lot of these bases. I'm going to go ahead and read these questions if you have anything you want to add to them. Okay. Um, but you are very good at rounding out the subject and um, 
I think you incorporated a lot of what you're about already. Um, so how is the focus, how is the focus different from what Raised Evangelical was doing? And you, you've already touched on a lot of that mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the support group, so to speak, for angry ex-evangelicals. Yeah. And now moving into a, to a, a more, uh, a more holistic, sometimes that word annoys me, but that's what yeah. this feels like it is. It's a more all-encompassing. Is there anything you want to add? Um, well, yeah, I think um, moving forward, I don't want my, my focus to be solely on just, ex, you know, former evangelical story, stories. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of being a former evangelical and having deconstructed to a certain point and healed to a certain point is also understanding that there is a world beyond that and yes what our experiences were certainly inform how we engage with that world but I would like to talk more about that about okay so you were an evangelical you were traumatized terrible things happened to you you began deconstructing and healing how does that impact you know say how you're going to vote how does that impact you know how you interact with people like your family who might not agree with you on everything. Um, You know, there's a whole lot more to being a former evangelical than just constantly rehashing the former evangelical part. And that's what I want to venture into. 100%. I, um, I love that. Yes. This is now a part of your identity, but it's not your sole identity. And what are you going to do with the things that you've learned? Mm -hmm. Um, So, what do you hope to achieve through the new podcast? Well, I hope that just as with Raised Evangelical, as people listened and found words for their own story, that was what I heard pretty regularly was I didn't know how to put into words what I was experiencing or what I had experienced until I read your book or listened to your podcast and heard your guests speak. Then I found words for my own story. I'm hoping what this new focus will do is give people uh, words for the next chapter of their story. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to put a a fine point on any specific goal here because I think we're all evolving all the time. I mean, if, if you're doing it right, you should be. And I just want people to understand that, you know, growth is a good thing moving beyond forever being traumatized by what you experienced is a good thing and understanding that growing beyond the need for these, you know, support groups and so forth that are so great at first, but can become a hindrance down the road is also a good thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And you want people walking with you who understand that. And if you have people, whether it's through a podcast or books that continually be are recommended to you or the people you're engaging with every day, be it on social media or in your face-to-face spaces. Um, if you have people who constantly want you to revisit that trauma, understand that they're doing that because they are trying to work through their own stuff. And also there's a component to it where they benefit from you staying traumatized. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this podcast will help people um, at least feel, feel strong enough to ask, am I ready to move forward? 
Yeah, I love that. And I'm excited to keep um, following you on this journey. Um, I think I've gone through all of the stages of grief of like losing my own evangelicalism, you know? Yeah. And while there's still anger, and I think there always will be to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I feel like I'm on a similar, uh, maybe parallel path with you as far as, okay, I, I went through the, you know, um, figurative sitting in my sweats, eating chocolate for a year while I (laughs) healed from this. Yes. Just burning with rage. And now, oh my God, there's a world out there. Yeah, exactly. People like, wow, Mm -hmm. I I could interact with you without Mm -hmm. judging you now. And I can look at you in your place in life without like heaping all of these, you know, negative judgments on you. Right. And it's really freeing and exciting. It is. And I think having grown up in the evangelical church, we were taught that everything is black and white. There is no nuance. You have the right to pronounce judgment on people who think differently from you and so on. And so coming, you know, grieving the loss of your evangelicalism, healing from the wounds that you experienced at the hands of evangelicalism, part of that is definitely making space for conversations that Uh, that challenge you that are with people who have ideas that are completely different from what you were raised with. I mean, yes, there's a whole world out there and it is very liberating to say, I don't have to judge that world at all. It can just be, I don't have to associate with certain people and ideas if I don't want to, but that doesn't mean I have to hold anger and bitterness in my heart all the time either. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on my show. um, (laughs) You know, plugging your own. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's going to be great. I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, You know, I'm still fleshing out how I'm going to proceed. I just knew it was time to put raised evangelical to rest and move forward. Yeah. How long has it been now since you launched that? Has it been about a year? Well, my book was released almost a year ago, and then I launched the podcast just earlier this year. Okay. This year has been so insane. I know. Yes. Yes. And that's actually a perfect segue into talking about you. (laughs) Ah, it is indeed. Um, So, Jen, this year has indeed been insane. In general terms, first, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, when I told you I needed three minutes before I'd be ready to start, it was to go get a spoonful of peanut butter (laughs) and a handful of chocolate chips. Oh, perfect. That's how we're doing. I think that's a good good summary of 2020 for me. This is where Um, we are. (laughs) You know, we are just hanging in there like the rest of the world Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of hanging um I have two young girls eight and six so it's been an insanely weird um you know stretching challenging year Mm -hmm. um but I'm still standing yes albeit with chocolate chips in my hand (laughs) I love that that's perfect and that is a perfect analogy for this year I feel like this year has just pulled out all the stops and 
we're in the final stretch and all bets are off as to what could happen in the next. 100%. It's like, you know, I remember in the beginning of the year, you know, people were, as we do every year, oh, I'm so glad last year is over. That was a rough year. And like six months into this year, I felt like I'm so sorry, 2019, for whatever I did to hurt your feelings. I take back every mean thing I ever said about you. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and the thing is, and this isn't being a pessimist, but like, it's really like toned down how excited and optimistic I feel about the upcoming year. Yeah. You know, like from December 31st to January 1st, what's going to change? Right. I mean, at least we've lived through, at least we will have lived through a year of it by then. So right. we tend to be pros. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't anticipate 2021 being a whole lot, um, more enjoyable but I would love to be proven wrong exactly I mean it's just you know it's just an imaginary line in the sand this whole new year's thing and we all know this but we kind of trick ourselves every year but this year it's like this was a reality check it's like things aren't automatically going to be great on January 1st you know totally so how have you been and this was why I brought you on today because, well, one of the reasons I brought you on, um, you have had some really creative means of coping through all of this that you've been sharing on Facebook and so forth. And I think it's just so cool what you're doing. Um, first, uh, you know, would you have discovered these things that you're going to be talking about had it not been for the events of this year? Oh, that is an interesting question. Um, I don't think so, at least not to the extent that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed sitting down and playing with Play-Doh or clay with my girls or coloring or, you know, Mm -hmm. some, like I, have enjoyed stuff like that, but I don't think I would have delved into it, um, as deeply and passionately as I have, uh, were it not for, you know the end of the world as we know it (laughs) yeah so what have you been doing as as the world winds down (laughs) man um I suddenly I sent you a little selfie right before we started and Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by some art supplies and Mm -hmm. had a you know a piece that I was finishing up and um I sometimes look around and I'm like who how did this (laughs) is that what is happening yes me but it is me right um so I have you know it's it's funny I've always been a creative Mm -hmm. but I haven't always known it Mm -hmm. um and I think especially early on especially when we're young we can get put into boxes oh sure that then we define ourselves by Mm -hmm. um you know so I was the athlete I was the whatever the runner the team handball player all of this And, um, sure, you know, I would sometimes doodle in my room by myself, but it was just doodling, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I cannot draw worth a lick. I will, uh, I will admit that right (laughs) up front. Um, abstract is my jam. Um, you know, and then in the last, sheesh, maybe 15 years, um, I started discovering that I like to write, um, oh, maybe I'm, you know, and just kind of slowly easing into that. And then it was oh, well, I'm a, cre- you know, I'm creative, you know, like with words and, and I'm mm-hmm. a creative writer, but I don't, oh, I don't do like crafts or, you know, right. 
and, and, and it was constantly like almost purposefully boxing myself in mm-hmm. to who I'm not. Um, for about a year, a friend and I, this was, I don't know, five years ago now, we, um, we were making, making different things, trays and picture frames and neck jewelry stands out of repurposed barnwood. Mm-hmm. Um, which was super fun. And I learned how to use the, you know, cable saw and circular saw and electric sander and all those things that just make you feel like a badass. When you're <laughs> them. Yes. Um, and again, it was like, oh, maybe this is what I can do. I can like, like build things. And, you know, I'm still not the, you know, artsy type. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden it is the middle of October, 2020. And most of the art on my wall in my room, which is a lot, most of it uh, is created by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have some amazing um, art by living artists, as well as my children. Mm-hmm. We're also living artists. Yes. Anyone who makes art is an artist. And um, it's become like this this lifeline. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly what your question was, but I talked about it for a long time. No, that's okay. You No, that's good. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a second, because that was one thing I wanted to ask you about. So I think a common perception people have of art is yes. it's only valuable art if it can be sold, if it can, has a monetary value. What do you think about that idea? And not just art, but I mean, any passion that people pursue, there's an idea that it's only valuable if you can monetize it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the short answer is I think it's bullshit. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you know, my, uh, my eight-year-old, oh, my word, bless her sweetheart. She's like constantly telling me, mom, you should be a full-time artist. Oh. Mom, you could earn a living that way. And um, while I'm completely flattered, yeah. She's eight. Right. And I'm her mom. So there's a little a little bit of that uh, heroism there that, that we sure. see sometimes as parents until we grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fully cognizant of the fact that there's very little chance my art will ever sell. That's but that's not why um, like even if I'm proven wrong some someday and I do start selling art, which mm-hmm. sounds so insane and presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Like I love that it started out just with this this um, deep desire to make my own beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, no thought of marketing, no thought of posting things on Facebook, like mm-hmm. none of it. It just, um, I, I started following a lot of artists mm-hmm. over the last couple of years um, as, I've, as I've grown into my own freedom and my own person. And, you know, I realized that my Instagram is mostly artists, mm-hmm. um, and it makes me so happy. And then it was like, oh, my word. Well, I have colored pencils. My kids have some, you know, acrylic paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do, marketa- marketability, mm-hmm. is that a word? It is now. Excellent. <laughs> it hasn't even been, I mean, it hasn't, it's not in the forefront of my mind, but it hasn't been on the back burner or anywhere um, in my consciousness Um I think art is worth creating mm-hmm. because beauty is worth creating. Yes. Um, like I look at my past as an athlete and hopefully sometime, someday my future as an athlete again, <laughs> but I've always been big on, you know, you don't have to be first in a race or be making money professionally to call yourself a runner. If you go out and you cover any amount of distance, 
on any surface, you're a runner. Like I'm really, I'm serious about that. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you are doing 20 minute miles or four minute miles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I found that that's been harder for me to say with art, even though they're essentially the same, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be out in whatever cargo pants and flip flops. And if you run a mile, dude, you're a runner. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would never, I call myself a poet and a writer. I don't make money on those either. I've never made money running Mm -hmm. or writing, but I have no problem calling myself a poet and a runner. Um, But there's something with art. Like I still wouldn't say, hi, I'm Jen, a writer, poet, and artist. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think art comes with a lot of preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and kind of self-imposed uh, standards. Mm-hmm. Um, when really art is making something that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see what you, yeah, I see what you're saying because I think that, you know, as writers, we know that there's a lot of gatekeeping in the publishing community. I mean, yes, you are not going to get a contract unless you know people you're really just not um and i think that when people hear the word artist there is an expectation that you are established somewhere that you have connections with someone who is a well-known artist or at least is you know is in some way prominent in the art community yes i would agree with that yep and so to, yeah, it does. It feels very audacious to say I'm an artist because it almost feels like somebody has to give you that title. Right. Whereas being a runner and a writer, that is something that you do. I mean, that's, you know, right. There's a lot more intrinsic, I guess. I mean, you don't need that validation from other people. Yes. I run. You know, that is what I do. I'm a runner. I write. I am a writer. But yeah, there is something different about art. Right. And when you when you say it that way, like, of course, I've those have always been things that I've recognized about myself. So I'm confident in those areas, even though I've never made a single cent writing, you know, Mm because I know a lot of people would feel the same calling themselves writers as I Mm -hmm. do calling myself an artist. Um, But those are things that I've acknowledged about myself. I've grown into I've learned that this is part of who I am. And I think because for some reason I've always like, not just not considered myself an artist or not thought about it, but I've always kind of put myself down in that department. Almost that, um, that, uh, preventative, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, here's my disclaimer. Like, uh, just know that I'm not the creative type. And I don't right. know why I've been like, so pulled to do that but because it's been something I've rejected for so long mm-hmm. I think it's going to be harder to really internalize it and like accept that I make art almost every day yeah okay I'm, I'm probably <clears throat> I'm probably an artist but, right <laughs> you know it's, yeah it's, it's it's very awkward for some reason um well you but I wouldn't tell that to someone else right exactly exactly and you hit on something earlier when you said we define ourselves by what we're not. Uh And I think that we do that. I mean, that's just kind of what we're 
conditioned to do by society that constantly tells us stick to what you're good at stay in your yes and in some ways yeah you absolutely do need to stay in your lane when it comes to your creative expressions though whether it's through art or the written word spoken word whatever the case may be um defining ourselves by what we're not is severely limiting and then when we discover that we do have other talents yeah it's really difficult to embrace those things and really make them part Uh of who we are rather than this is just a hobby that I do that every once in a while I'm good at right (laughs) you know yeah Mm -hmm. and I you know and you know like you said I would never say that to somebody else and and I've told this story before on on this podcast but new podcast, new day, et cetera. (laughs) A few years ago, a friend of mine was doing a little bit of home renovation and he was doing it himself and he had done his bathroom. And I went over to his house to hang out back in the day and he wanted to show me what he'd done. So he showed me and I was like, this is beautiful. You know, you did a great job. And then he starts pointing out to me all the things that aren't what they, what he thought they should be. Yep. And I said, now, come on, if I did this, would you come into my house and tell me every little thing I did wrong? Mm-hmm. He said, well, no. And I said, then why are you doing it to yourself? You did a great job, you know, be, be proud of yourself. And I kind of feel like that applies to a lot of things. We are so mm-hmm. quick to point out where we think we're lacking or, or what we're not, that we don't give ourselves credit for what we are and where we excel. And I've seen your art um, progress exponentially since you started. And you're, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it was so cute when you first started. And I hate that when people say that, oh, that was so cute. But it was, you were like a little kid. <laughs> you That's know? exactly what it feels like. Yeah. That is exactly, you feel like a kindergartner going, yeah. do you like my picture? Yeah. And it's so vulnerable. Yes. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yes, you are like a little kid. And I sometimes wonder, do like, do well-established artists who actually make a living at it, do they still get a twinge of that every now and then? Like, Mm -hmm. oh my word, I just put colors on a canvas. Like, I feel, I just wonder if there's some of that, like, imposter syndrome or um, downplaying their own abilities. Yeah. Yeah. but yes, anyhow, yes, I started out with some very, we'll call them very humble little things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then you posted something uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, you posted flowers. And I was remembering your first flowers and then the ones you did yesterday. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. don't even know what first flowers you're talking about yeah. and I'm not sure that I want to um but I think that I think for me sharing the whole process also has become important because mm. there's nothing that makes me special with having picked up like literally anyone could sit down with a blank piece of paper and some sort of color medium and create something mm-hmm and I think it's like the, the, I've always, I mean, I joke that vulnerability is my love language, but it really is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll post something. Oh, I'm playing around. Like literally I'm just trying something. I'm, I'm 
experimenting. I want to see what happens. Sometimes I ruin something I really love and I get really mad about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But I feel like it's important to share the not spectacular pieces, which I'm not going to be self-deprecating and, and go into how many I think are spectacular. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, like learning is just the point of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that coming out of evangelicalism is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like how much, yeah. like kind of like what we said, like, Oh, there's a whole world out there. Mm-hmm. There are, there is so much about myself that I didn't know until I just started doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, learning new skills, learning, learning about myself, discovering that, I don't know, painting with a fig leaf, which I've done. I've gone out my backyard, grabbed a fig leaf, dipped it in paint and painted with it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you don't know these things until you try them. Right. Um, and you can't possibly learn them if you're not willing to be imperfect. Yes. Um, you know, so the learning pieces that I'm playing around, like literally posting just doodles, so to speak, um, feels just as important, just as important of a part of the painting experiences as the paintings that end up on my wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels very symbolic of my of my own growth experience, yeah. which I think art is supposed to kind of do that. So, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, not being afraid to fail. I think in in the the environments that we grew up in, mm-hmm. um, for one, we weren't told super awesome things about ourselves as humans. <laughs> right. um, so like recognizing and owning our gifts, that wasn't yeah. really a thing. No. Um, <laughs> you know, being told you always had to, to downplay your own self. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a learning curve, mm-hmm. learning to embrace our gifts and um, you know, our talents. Um, anyhow, it's yeah. well, very eye-opening. Uh-huh. It is. And I mentioned this on a recent podcast with MJ Corker, and she was talking about her new book. And it holds true here, too. We were never encouraged to explore anything artistic unless it could be exploited for ministry. If oh, so- my goodness gracious. Hold on. I need to. Yep. <laughs> I just needed to digest that one for a second. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so finding out that you have a talent in that regard and you don't have to use it to do anything other than process your own stuff, whether it's joy or pain or healing or growth, whatever it might be, that oh, is acceptable. Yes. And I, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think sharing the art, the way that you do, and I've seen a lot of people throughout this, these past several months doing similar things where they are just, they discovered a new skill they had. They Uh discovered something they were passionate about and they started sharing it from the first day they started delving into it and just all through all along through these last several months and it does encourage people to begin to see themselves differently like maybe they've always had a an interest in painting but now but there's this whole concept of it has to be quote good yes and by sharing the process you're also helping redefine what good is 100 percent mm-hmm 
Yeah. Um, and honestly, what I've come to is if it makes you feel good, then it's good. Yep. Um, really, it all boils down to that. I mean, back to the five-year-olds. Um, first of all, five-year-olds make just as legitimate art as anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're just, they have that inherent vulnerability where they're not afraid to say, hey, mommy, look what I just made. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's, it's not self-deprecating to say, I kind of feel like a five-year-old because mm-hmm. dang it, I wish we were all more like five-year-olds. Yes. Five-year-olds rock. <laughs> they do. Um, you know, and then second of all, it takes courage. It's not naivete that, that lets you go and do something brave and scary. It's courage. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, she doesn't know any better. You know, poor Jen, that little flower looks like a pile of dog poo. Um, <laughs> you know, it's courage to like start with something blank mm-hmm. and create yes. and then even more courage to be vulnerable and share it mm-hmm. um, whether with your mom if you're in kindergarten or your 2000 Facebook friends mm-hmm. or anything in between um, yeah but yeah if it makes you feel good it's good mm-hmm. and um, like like we said earlier like in some areas we will always define our value based on the feedback that we get mm-hmm. um which has been the case for me in almost every area of my life, mm-hmm. because again, that's what we were conditioned and taught to do. Yes. So venturing, venturing into this where I have no frame of reference, I have no groundwork laid, just blasting into this whole new territory um, has taught me and is teaching me literally every day to just to be unapologetically me mm-hmm. in every area. It really translates into so many things mm-hmm. um, and building confidence just as a human in this world. Yeah. I think that has been one of the gifts of 2020. If we can say that, <laughs> I think yeah. that finding our own humanness is something that we, we don't, we are not good at doing in this modern era unless we're made to do it. And by having so many things stripped away from so many people, and I've been referring to them as the external identifiers we depend on, you know, uh-huh. how, how we dress for work, um, you know, where we work, you know, all these things that we, that people look at us and say, you are this and you are that because the, because of what you do, uh, a lot of that has been taken away. And we've had to find out who we are without any of that. Yes. Who are we? What? Who is our essence? Yep. And it's yeah. been a tremendous gift because I see so many people who are saying that, you know, I didn't know how to just sit and, and relax until I kind of had to, until there was nothing else for me to do until, right? you know, learning how to just sit and read a book. Um, yeah. You know, 2020 has given us that. And I'd love to see that so many people are using this time to, you know, really invest in themselves and, and really define themselves on their own terms. And I think that's what it, what art allows for, allows us to do is, you know, what we put on that paper is it's us. I mean, we get to define ourselves in that, in that small space, we get to define an aspect of ourselves in our own terms. And if somebody else wants to interpret it differently, that's fine. But we know what it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been uh, doing, you know, blackout poetry and making some artwork on the pages. I've been working on, you know, makeup artistry these last several months. And again, you know, just relating to you, when somebody says to me, you're my favorite makeup artist, there's that sense of, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm just somebody that plays with makeup. Right. But it's like, well, no, there is an art involved in it. Uh And I do that art. So I guess, yeah, I'm a makeup artist. You're an artist. Yeah. And honestly, and this is, this is to me why sharing even the, the very beginnings of our work, the imperfect Mm -hmm. stuff is so important because honestly, like I look at you starting your makeup journey um, Mm -hmm. and it, it has honestly given me courage to be like, okay, well, that's her canvas. Her face is her canvas. And she just Mm -hmm. started doing stuff. Um, It (laughs) gives you courage to start new things that feel so far outside of your comfort zone that Mm -hmm. you might not ever try. But if you see 10 people on your feed, whatever, learning to ride a bike or doing Mm -hmm. makeup or, you know, wrote a short story, like it reminds you that perfection isn't the goal and productivity isn't the goal and money isn't the goal it's living. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I feel that we've lost so much of that because we have attached so much value to having everything have marketability that Uh if it doesn't have that, we're not going to invest in it. And it's like, but, and in doing that, we lose so much of what it is to be human, you know, to be human is to succeed and to fail and to try and to stumble and to be victorious and to have days when you just fall into a heap and cry. It's yeah. all of that and more. Yes. And by trying to edit out the unpleasant parts of it, the parts that aren't Instagram worthy, mm-hmm. um, we lose so much of just the general experience of this life, you know, which is messy. Life is messy and oh it's beautiful, yes. you know? Yes. And you can't have one without the other. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I am doodling, doodling um, with <laughs> my new, I discovered paint sticks. What? They're amazing. Yes. They're like paint, but in a marker form. <gasps> and they just roll on. And so I'm on my couch. I don't need to have a, like a water cup or a I water. love that. And I am just, I've done like four little fun doodles while we've been talking. Oh, how fun. Um, <laughs> if you listen closely, you'll probably hear the cap snapping on and off. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. So I didn't have this question because um, I do send my guests questions ahead of time. For those of you who are like, I want to be on this show. Or I want to do a podcast. But what if she asks me something out of nowhere? <laughs> I don't do that, uh, except for now. <laughs> right. It's okay. I one of those for you, too. So we'll call it. Yeah. So. We're all learning a lot in 2020. We're all rediscovering or discovering for the first time aspects of our human existence. Um, does this, you know, and I go back and forth on this, but do you, does this make you feel somewhat more hopeful going forward that, you know, we can remember our humanness and maybe use this as, as, a foundation to build something better. Yes. And when I hear you say that, 
I think back to even a few years ago when I would when I would hear someone say this restores my faith in humanity and I would be like mm -hmm. oh but that's not the Christian way you know what I mean but yeah. that's exactly what it feels like like getting in touch with our own humanity allows us to recognize it and and celebrate it in others mm -hmm. right and there's there's definitely a ripple effect um yeah and then I look at like oh my word I look at Gen Z and mm -hmm. I think, okay, if we can hold on. Yes. <laughs> so they're in charge. Like, yeah. They give okay. me so much hope. <laughs> What's that? I said, they give me so much hope. I, I literally know I can think of three teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17 that I would vote into government today if I could. <laughs> they are yeah. so aware. They are so engaged. They are so knowledgeable. They are passionate. And they are mm -hmm. fucking fearless. Yes. And um, they just blow my mind. Like, I, I think back on the conversations that I have with them. And I wasn't even on that wavelength when I was in high mm -hmm. school. I didn't even know right? what politics really were. I didn't care. Mm -mm. Um, no. Yeah, I think this has boiled us down to our true essences, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, thankfully, social media truly has been a gift especially in the age of covid because yeah we can share these things with each other and it's not the mm -hmm. same as an in a person you know an in-person hug um but there is still a sense of connectedness and we're all in this together that we yeah. would not have had 50 years ago um yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. My, my faith in humanity <laughs> i'm saying mm -hmm. the cliche phrase um I do, I do feel like seeing the beauty of the human spirit um, mm -hmm. when everything else is kind of put to the wayside uh, is definitely hopeful. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think that one of the gifts of social media, um, obviously it's helping us all stay connected right now, but I think also because people feel more safe on social media. Yeah. They're sharing things in a in such a vulnerable way that they might not feel comfortable sharing face to face, but they know it needs to be said. Yes. Um, you know, social media, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. And I think we all know this. It does enable people to be incredibly cruel to each other. Totally. But it also has allowed people to be more, in some ways, more real with each other and with mm -hmm. themselves. And I, I think that as we're, you know, embracing this, these vulnerabilities and sharing them in social media, I do think that in small ways, it's starting to translate to how we relate with each other in person. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. Think so. Yeah. Um, like just, you know, I think about my local friends and prior to, you know, COVID-19 and all of the the ways that separated all of us, you know, if there were little needs that anybody had, I think our tendency as a society, because we're so, so much of that bootstraps thinking in, in American culture, we tend to keep it to ourselves. Like if we need something, it's like, well, I'll muddle through. I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm not going to ask anybody for help. You know, I'll get by. And now it's like, we're checking in with each other. I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? I heard that, you know, your husband or wife or partner is, um, they, they're out of a job right now because of the pandemic. Are you getting by? Okay. Is there anything I can help you with? Um, mm -hmm. you know, you're sick. Do you want me to, um, uh, 
you know, when the schools were delivering lunches, do you want me to bring the lunches to your house so you don't have to bother going out to get them or whatever? Yes. I mean, all these little things that you just didn't think about before. And now right. it becomes so clear how vital those things are. Yes. You know, and, and, and especially I, uh, in American culture, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this individualistic, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps society. Um, mm-hmm. It's not how it's not how a lot of the inhabitants of this country have typically lived. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, having having spent a lot of time um, in South America uh, growing up, like I see I see neighbors out on walks more. I see people talking to yeah. each other more. And it feels like, you know, kind of this return to, I mean, to ourselves, really, because it really does take a village, you know. You mm-hmm. really do. It, it really is much better for you if your neighbor goes to pick up food instead of you taking your sick self out. Um, right. And realizing that, like, it really isn't a burden. I think asking for help is as much a gift to yourself as to the person who now gets to offer you something of value. Yes. You know, well, yeah, mm-hmm. like, I, I can't, sure, I can't deliver you um, whatever, Two hundred dollars worth mm-hmm. of groceries because I don't have it, but I can take your dog for a walk. I have time to give. Yep. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that is is resurfacing here, like you said. Mm-hmm. It is. I think so. And it's and in really small ways that you we don't really even think about. But it was so funny because I went to the grocery store last week and there was somebody there wiping down the carts and she greeted me. And I like did a double take and I said, aren't you so-and-so from the school? Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, yeah, I am. And we chatted for a minute. And I said, you know, it's so funny that I've learned to recognize people from the eyes up. You know, right? when was the last time you really had to look in someone's eyes when you see them out, you know, grocery shopping or whatever? Yes. You don't. Totally. But now, I mean, it's just those little things that... Yeah. That means so much now mm-hmm. because that's how we're finding each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Our society truly will never be the same. I really hope not. I truly hope not. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. Um, um, this was, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of reset and go forward into something better if we choose to. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. obviously still acknowledging that a, a different sort of reset would have been preferable, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> a million people dying worldwide, and um, yeah, so obviously not to discount the pain of, of the course millions not, no. of people who have lost loved ones, but mm-hmm. um, we can take this and come out ourselves better for it. Um, yes, and yeah, I mean, I think you with your platform and your makeup channel. Um, did you ever think that you would hear those words that you have a makeup? I did not. Um, and your podcast, <laughs> I mean, these are the not so little things that mm-hmm. are making, that make the difference, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, for one, yeah. love your makeup channel. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> every now and then I'm like, okay, I have seven colors and a palette. Let's see what I yeah. do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the thing about the makeup channel is I really want people to know it, it is about the makeup, but it's also not, you know, oh, totally. I just, 
And that's why I don't I don't feel bad about not showing my whole process because I really am okay with everybody just feeling inspired to get out the seven colors they do have and seeing what they can do with it. But and that's you know, that comes back to this whole idea of us getting back to our essence and and by sharing these things that we're doing where we're finding each other and as we find each other, we're helping each other find our way through the all these uncertain times that we're living in. And we don't know what's going to happen by the end of the year. I mean, I really embracing for anything. <laughs> right. Um, what we do know is that when everything is said and done, what we have is each other. There is no rescue party coming to save us. And we have to learn how to take care of each other better. And I think we kind of knew that in theory before mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. Now we know it in fact, and we're, slowly but surely developing ways within our own local communities to do that. And I think that's a, you know, if anything could be said, I mean, that's a gift that's coming out of all this mess and tragedy and pain. We're learning how to better take care of each other. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, Jen, it has been wonderful having you here today. Thank you for being here yet again for the inaugural episode of something new, something hopefully very good for everybody. Um, It was just great having you here. Yeah, this was super fun. And I will, um, 10 months from now, I'll put in my calendar that I'll uh, just have this, this day reserved to introduce your third name change. Thank you to Jen for being here. We got cut off, but that's okay because we were pretty well wrapped up. Thank you for listening and for being here for this, um, new journey with a seat at the table and again i don't really know how all of this is going to go i have some ideas but we're we're all in this together so stick with me i promise it'll be great whatever happens and i hope that we can continue to grow and heal together Um, take care of yourselves take care of each other don't should on yourselves don't should on anyone else we're all going to get through this together and i will talk with you again soon